Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia. A via courtesy of the Community Radio Network, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Justice Scarn. You got any hate mail? Please send it. I love it. Love it. I like to see what, what people are thinking. It's always good. The post office box, 20 Parkville 3052. Send me hate mail via email or phone message. Not interested. I want you to write to me so I can get your fingerprints. So write without with gloves on. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. That's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. And if you wonder what direct democracy is, it's when people directly make decisions and then elect or appoint recallable delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional and national level and in some cases international level. This is the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, uh, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. If you're called away, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the next six to eight weeks by going to 3cr.org.au. Crime pays. I am so happy that crime pays. For years, my late departed father used to tell me, he said, Joe, crime doesn't pay. And guess what? Dear old dad was wrong. Crime pays. Yesterday, we saw the combined wealth of the major banks increase by $30 billion, by 5% on the stock market, because the report, which was handed down by Commissioner Haynes in the in the truncated Royal Commission to the, into the financial sector, made no recommendations regarding punitive intervention, no recommendations about regulatory intervention. Not that I blame Commissioner Hayes and the commissioners and the lawyers who've been doing a very good job considering the current federal government 26 times voted not to have a Royal Commission to the financial sector into the behaviour of their mates. And now they've got a little bit of a bad mark. All we hear about is how they were responsible for instigating the Royal Commission. Well, I reckon it's the people like the Wednesday Action Group. Since 1999, they have been calling for a Royal Commission. That's 20 years into the financial sector, but that's another story. So why do I say crime pays? Now, if you were stupid enough to shoplift and got caught, 
you'd go to court. If you speed, you go to court. If you punch somebody in the face and you're caught, you go to court, okay? You'd be punished. Could be a financial penalty, could be a community service order, could be a jail sentence. But if you systematically, over tens of thousands of times, break the law, if you systematically rip off your customers, bankrupt them, drive them to the wall, force them to commit suicide because of the impossible situation they find themselves in, you make a buck. You make a buck. What society do we live in? Well, I think the Royal Commission of the Banking Sector highlights the type of society we live in. Now, if you think of society as a little, you know, think of it as a hut, a group hut, and the cross beam, which holds up the roof and protects the people inside, that is our financial sector. That's our banking sector. Now, there are a few cobwebs on the outside of that cross beam and a few stains, and Commissioner Haynes, because of the truncated nature of the Royal Commission he was forced to hold, made some superficial recommendations to blow away the cobwebs and remove the stains. At no stage, at no stage was this Royal Commission set up to look at the structural problems with capitalism, the structural problems with the financial sector in a capitalist society, with the white anting, the hollow crossbeam under which we all live, which can break at any time and cause horrific damage to the people living under that roof. Because let's not forget, the private banks are not individual entities that have no responsibility for their actions. They act as if they have no responsibility. And over the last 40 years, yes, I'll use the phrase again, during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution, they have basically been, you know, allowed to act in whatever way they wish. And we are now reaping the harvest of a financial sector which is not regulated. Now, the financial sector, each bank has a government licence to operate. Let's not forget that. Each bank has a government licence to operate. Without that government licence, they cannot operate legally. Now, if a bank's behaviour is so criminal, the government can revoke its licence. Not that it would, but theoretically it can revoke its licence. Now, Commissioner Haynes and his support staff found themselves in an impossible position when the coalition government was forced to hold a royal commission into the banking sector because of the avalanche of complaints over decades. The terms of references 
under which the Royal Commissioner worked were exceptionally strict, like he couldn't go back more than a decade. And he had limited time, very limited time, in which to do a forensic examination of the banking and the financial sector in this country. And the banking and financial sector has an impact on each and every one of us in a capitalist society where money is used to exchange, buy and sell, you know, retire. It is a fundamental aspect of any capitalist society. Now, I don't blame Commissioner Haynes for his limited recommendations because during that six-month period, they're only able to scratch the surface, scratch the surface of the criminal activities and intent of major financial institutions in this country. And the Royal Commissioner was given a limited terms of references and limited time in which to examine this matter for that very reason, to ensure that the Commission could not hold a forensic examination into that sector. Now, if the tax office calls you in for an audit, they have the resources to conduct a forensic examination, a financial forensic examination on your activities as a taxpayer. The Royal Commission, to use a, an analogy, is a little bit like having you having, you know, five loaves and five fishes to feed a thousand people but you haven't got the powers of Jesus Christ, you know, to multiply those loaves and fishes to uh, feed everybody, and you've got to make a choice about who you're going to feed and when you're going to feed them. It's the same with the Royal Commissioner. With a limited terms of references, with limited time, with limited finances, with limited support staff, they were expected to clean out the Aegean stables a banking sector that had not been examined forensically for decades. Decades. So they were forced to ask the banks to fess up before they appeared at the Royal Commission. And as we know, their activities, their illegal activities, their criminal activities have had a profound impact on the lives of thousands if not tens tens of thousands of people, many of whom have committed suicide because of financial pressure they find themselves under, many who have lost everything because of the financial pressures they find themselves under through no fault of their own, many who have lost everything because loans have been called in. I'll give you an example. 30 years ago, a gentleman I know who has spent time in prison, you know, for agitating against what happened to him, in the mid-80s, had a nice parcel of land in a nice area where they wanted to, you know, one of the major banks wanted to set up a shopping complex. Now, this gentleman was a little bit savvy regarding real estate matters, as he was a real estate agent, refused to sell for the bargain basement prices they offered him. So what did they do? This particular bank called him his loan. Now, I don't think you realise that when you sign that contract for a mortgage or a loan, the bank can call in that loan legally 
at any time for no reason. And that means if you can't get somebody else to refinance that loan, that you could lose your guarantee to that loan, which means your house, your business, whatever. So this gentleman refused to sell. They called in his loan. He couldn't refinance. They seized his property. And then they sold the property at 10% of its market value to a company that was actually owned by that bank. So we're not talking about a decade ago, we're talking about decades ago. Now, during the next 25 years, this gentleman has conducted a one-man campaign to redress that wrong, which resulted in him losing his family, losing everything he had, and spending a number of months in jail for breaking, for so-called breaking intervention order regarding enter, entering the premises of this financial institution. Now, this is just one case that I am familiar with. And there are thousands of these cases. And the Royal Commissioner was actually not able to listen to these people, at least into the Royal Commission's institutional child abuse, which ran for four years, at least victims had the opportunity to air their situation to the Commission as a whole or individual Royal Commissioners. What we need today is not some namby-pamby, crappy $30 million compensation scheme which won't even compensate 0.1% of the people who've been ripped off by financial institutions, but we need a truth commission which may have to be run for a number of years where people who feel or believe they have been ripped off by the banks for major sums of money can actually testify with legal indemnity. And that's the key, legal indemnity. The statements they make regarding how they were ripped off by the financial sector. Now, we're not going to see this. The federal government is a wonderful government. It's such a beautiful government. It is so creative. They will be sitting for just 10 parliamentary sitting days in eight months. Now, I'm sure that if you had a job and told your boss, I'm going to work 10 days for the next eight months, but I expect to be paid all my entitlements, my weekly wage, my superannuation payments, my holiday pay, my annual leave, the boss would say, there's the door. And I don't blame him. There's the door, mate. You want to work 10 days? I'll pay you for bloody 10 days. But not this federal government. Concerned about its parliamentary majority, paper-thin, wafer-thin parliamentary majority. Concerned about being questioned in parliament regarding their incompetencies. They have decided to only hold 10 parliamentary sitting days in an eight-month period. It's quite extraordinary when you think about it. Now, what's even more extraordinary when you listen to the Royal Commissioner or you you know, have the time to read through the findings is the fact there is no recommendations for punitive 
intervention. He has referred certain banks, uh, NAB, Commonwealth, NAB, Commonwealth and ANZ to ASIC and APRA to investigate whether there is a need for punitive intervention. When we look at the story of the regulators, ASIC and APRA, we can see that this government has, during its two terms in office, weakened not only the legislative umbrella under which the regulatory agencies work, but weakened it in its ability to actually examine, let alone prosecute, people who are involved in criminal conduct in the financial sector. So we've seen $200 million ripped out of the ASIC budget in the last few years. It's a little bit like saying to you, there's... um, 15 tanks, 16 rocket launchers, 200,000 armed troops, 500 helicopters and four battleships outside your home. And I'm going to give you a slingshot to fight off the invaders. It's the same analogy. You set up an organisation to to, uh, police regulations... You weaken the regulations so that the banks can use their monetary advantage to fight you all the way to the High Court. And then you make it impossible for the regulatory authority to actually carry out its activities because it doesn't have the budget to carry out its activities. So this is part of that deregulation revolution that was sold to us as a great thing. It's a little bit like the cladding on buildings across the nation where the regulation of the building sector was transferred from the state to the private sector and we see this constantly where the regu- where self-regulation where industries are, are told you regulate yourself and if you're a bad boy or girl we'll somehow sort this out So how have the banks made these profits? Well, let's not forget during the global financial crisis 10 years ago, these banks, these financial sectors were on their knees and it was you, me, the taxpayer. And you are, everybody's a taxpayer if you eat, if you sleep on something because we all pay GST. So if you're not working and you're on a disability support pension or an old age pension or whatever, You are still a taxpayer because you are paying goods and services tax. So the taxpayers' money was used to save their bacon. But the government at that time, the Rudd Labor government, didn't say, well, we've saved your bacon, boys and girls. We would want two members of your board to have government appointees on that board to regulate your activities. Because although the banking sector has private as a government licence, they basically do as they like. Because ultimately, in a capitalist society where the financial sector is the crossbeam which holds up the roof, which protects us 
as individuals and as groups. Ultimately, what the banks did is what the banks are expected to do in a capitalist society. They are there to maximise return to their shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental, national costs to the community. That is the essence of capitalism, is to make ever-increasing profits for your major shareholders, irrespective of the damage you do, whether it's the alcohol industry, the gambling industry, the smoking industry, the building industry, and the list goes on and on. You're there to make a buck. And unless there are regulations from government and the authorities which are set up to police these regulations have the necessary staff and resources to keep their eye on what's happening in the financial and banking sector, what you get is a logical consequence of allowing a private marketplace to be dominated by financial institutions which have no responsibility to their customers. Every customer of a bank, whether you have shares in a superannuation fund that has banking shares, every customer of a bank has been treated as an idiot. A total brain-dead idiot. And they will continue to treat us as brain-dead idiots because the Royal Commission recommendations did not bring the cudgel down on their heads. It just waved a big stick. Just waved a big stick. That's it. And no wonder on the same day banking stocks increased by 5%, which I'm sure would cause a lot of uh, joy among shareholders. So we are not looking at a cultural problem or an ethical dilemma. We are looking at a structural problem. And the best way to regulate the private financial institutions, is by the creation of a state-owned bank, the creation of a federally-owned bank. Because such a bank increases competition in the marketplace, leaving the marketplace to bloated corporations whose major responsibility is to look after their senior staff and major shareholders, is a recipe for the situation we find ourselves in today. That is the situation. So we have a few recommendations. Well, public interest before corporate interest, which I've been involved in for three years as Secretary, we've had a number of recommendations. We're not about overthrowing the government. We're about introducing major reform. And this major reform would include the setting up of state and federally run institutions 
not just within the financial and banking sector, but within all aspects, you know, of uh, of the economy, in order to introduce real competition. The introduction of a one percent turnover tax, in order to ensure that banks pay their fair share of tax. The introduction of a stock market turnover tax to ensure that ordinary Australians, those who don't have share, direct shareholdings, actually benefit from the stock market. Quite extraordinary. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I may seem a little bit strident this morning, but I've been up since 330 so I could get to the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at 6am this morning and hopefully I'll be able to do this for a number of weeks. And what am I there for? We had a very successful vigil protest this morning. I am there to ensure that public housing becomes a significant debating point in each state and federally in this country. Because the same blight which is now causing major issues in the financial sector, has co-infected the housing sector. And across the nation we see increasing levels of homelessness, increasing levels of rent stress and increasing levels of mortgage stress, especially among people on low incomes, where people are paying 30, 40, 50, 60, in some case 70% of their income for some hovel, a roof over their heads. Now what we've seen across this country, especially in Victoria and New South Wales, is governments of both political hues, both Labor and Liberal, who have done everything they can to privatise. That's right, everything they can to privatise the public housing sector. Now for the last 20 years in Victoria, which I'm familiar with, the public housing sector has been treated with benign neglect. Some would say malignant neglect. And what that means is it's there, the government hasn't taken much interest in it, hasn't actually uh, helped to keep uh, buildings up to, up, to, up to stage and now it says, oh, we have to remodel them. That means we need to privatise this sector of the public housing sector. We've seen governments in Victoria which have put all their money, that's right, all their money into the community and social housing sector, which have made the terms public, community, social interchangeable. And we now have in Victoria a public housing waiting list which includes public housing tenants or people who want to be public housing tenants, people who want to be social housing tenants, people who want to be community housing tenants and people who want to have tenancy agreements under the Aboriginal um, Housing Association, all put on one waiting list. And when it comes to putting people in housing, every time, every time, it seems to be that people are putting community and social housing. Now, community and social housing aren't those feel-good words which they think we fall for. Community and social housing is privately owned, privately managed, some for profit, some not for profit. 
and those that are not for profit are big on expanding their empire. And we've seen in Victoria, the previous housing minister, Mr Martin Foley, who won very convincingly as an electorate of Albert Park, being moved aside from the public housing sector, from the housing sector, because he basically did everything he could to destroy that sector of the economy under a Labor government. And currently, the Labor government is under pressure, not just from public interest before corporate interest and public housing, everybody's business, but it's under pressure from a number of sources regarding their public housing policies. It's no accident that some bureaucrat from Parliament House this morning from the government offices turned up with police when we were legally, peacefully protesting on the steps of the Victorian Parliament, which which is sacrosanct, sacrosanct ground legally. So we told them to go away. And go away they did. They didn't have the authority to move us. So if you're interested in the public housing struggle, if you want to join us in this particular struggle, all I can say to you is join us. Over the next three weeks, the 13th of February, the 20th of February and the 27th of February, we will be meeting to hold this public vigil protest on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House on a Wednesday from 6am to 6pm. If you want to see the sunrise over the city, the CBD, that's always been your goal, you have a coffee and a croissant. You've got to bring your own coffee and croissants, obviously. Well, this is your chance. And get involved in a what I believe will be the most significant social, political, cultural movement in Victoria in 2019. The push to expand the public housing sector by using stamp duty revenue, a tax which is levied on housing, earmarked or quarantined for public housing. The Victorian State Government raised about $6 billion last year and will raise about $5 billion this year in stamp duty revenue. And if that stamp duty revenue is used to pot spot purchase homes around Victoria, you can house every homeless person within a month. You can house every person on the Victorian waiting list, which is about 1,000, 100,000 people, within a year. And you could house a hundred, you could house a million Victorians in public housing by twenty twenty nine within a decade. Think about it. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on three crorgau That's three crorgau The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com, or you can email me at info at pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, info at pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Toscano for the public. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. Have a look at that. 
public interest before corporate interest. Twitter account, PIBCI underscore AU. So there's a lot of virtual options, but more importantly, why don't you join us? The real you, the flesh and blood you, join us in one of the activities we organise, whether it's the Wednesday Action Group, whether it's the uh, vigil protest on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at 6am on a Wednesday, whether it's you joining me for dinner or lunch at La Porchetta in uh, Raftown Street. There's a lot of things you can get involved in. We've already had the Tanaminoe and Mobile Hina commemoration. Uh, already uh, we're making a significant uh, progress in these areas. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Now, again, I'm only familiar with the shamozzle that's going on with the Victorian Greens, although I understand the same shamozzle has been going on with the New South Wales Greens, which are the two major branches of the party. And in Victoria over the last 12 months, I understand between 25 to 30 members, 30% of members have resigned. And one of their high-profile members who belongs to the largest branch, who actually formed the largest branch of the Greens in Australia, in Northcote in Melbourne, Alex Battelle, has resigned from the party on the weekend and is seeking advice regarding legal action regarding defamation. And we have seen an internal power struggle within the Greens a major power struggle within the Greens between the old guard and the new guard. The old guard who believe that they and only they have the right to pre-selection and the new breed who are walking away. Well, if there are any Victorian Greens listening to this program, the Anarchist Fool this week, and there may be one or two, and you feel disillusioned with the direction of that party, why don't you join public interest before corporate interests? I mean, uh, we're based on direct democratic policies. We have regular congresses. We're membership-driven. We work within a constitutional framework which uh, promotes equality of opportunity as well as equality and uh, equal decision-making power. So if you're interested, go to PIBCP, download the application form at net. People say... Not another political party. Well, I can assure you there are many political parties out there, but none of them actually work basically at the political level, the parliamentary level, and at the grassroots level, you know, using direct action at the grassroots level and the ballot box at the parliamentary level. And both elements of the party are there to promote egalitarian social change so interested and look at the we will be having a congress on the 16th of march at the unitarian peace memorial church in melbourne 110 gray street in melbourne from 10 a.m to 4 p.m where members of public interest before corporate interests will be looking at eight policy initiatives which will be put to the membership for discussion and once a compromise position has been reached regarding these eight different policy initiatives cooperatives and collectives gender equality 
animal justice, climate change, uh, public health, public education, public infrastructure, public utilities, treaty, to name most of them. So if you want to be involved in that debate and you want to have speaking rights, you need to be a member of public interest before corporate interest. So I encourage you to join as soon as possible. Just download the application form from pipci.net, pipci.net, and you can get involved in the discussions. But uh, observers are welcome, but as it's a policy initiative congress... It's about fine-tuning policy, which will be put to the membership. Uh, speaking and voting rights are res- restricted to members only. So if you want speaking and voting rights, you need to become a member before the 16th of March. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio networks. Well, 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 well. Who said you don't get money for nothing. If you live in the land of Oz and you owned shares, you do get money for nothing by getting a tax refund. It's called um, franking credits for shares you may hold. Now, the Australian Labor Party has said this is unsustainable. And as a policy of actually, which will affect about 200,000 self-funded retirees, it won't affect any pensioners who are, have got shares. They will not be affected by this new uh, proposal. But these 200,000 baby boomers, of which I am one, are jumping up and down about the fact that they're getting something for nothing from the Australian taxpayer. Wouldn't it be nice if the mass media, the legacy media and social media spent as much time jumping up and down about the future of these 200,000 self-funded retirees who will not go bankrupt, who will not have to lead a hand-to-mouth existence because of the removal of franking credits? Wouldn't it be nice if we could spend the same amount of time taking out the interests of the one millions Australians who find themselves on New Start allowance, who are treated worse than a convicted pedophile by the organisations which supposedly look after their interests. It's just extraordinary when you think about it. It's just extraordinary when you think about it. So who said crime doesn't pay? Look, if you hit somebody over the head and steal their wallet, crime doesn't pay. If you shoplift, crime doesn't pay. If you uh, put your hand in somebody's pocket and steal their watch, crime doesn't pay. But if you work for a large corporation and you systematically break the law, crime does pay and it pays big dividends. All you have to look at is the stock market jump in the value of uh, banking shares when the Royal Commissioner handed down findings which did not recommend any punitive interventions 
or structural interventions. It's all about the culture of the banking sector. It's all about greed. I mean, greed is an issue, but the issue is having the institutional structures in place which basically do does not reward people for unethical behaviour, unlike the current situation. Where people involved in gross mismanagement, gross fraud, fraud are rewarded handsomely, while people on Newstart Allowance are treated as if they're subhuman, as if they have nothing to offer the community, as if it's all right to live off 245 bucks a week. We don't hear any jumping up and down. We don't see the Murdoch media. We don't see Channel 9 and The Age, which has been taken over by Channel 9. We don't see these institutions jumping up and down about a new start allowance on a constant basis, but we do see them jumping up and down regarding the future of 200,000 self-funded retirees who may have to take a little bit of a nip in their savings because the Australian Labor opposition, if elected to office, will ensure that they don't actually receive something for nothing. Nobody else receives something for nothing, so why should they receive something for nothing? Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Wasn't it wonderful to see an asylum seeker who's been on Manus Island for almost six years, or over six years, win the Victorian Literary Prize? for the book he wrote regarding the experiences of people in detention for an extraordinary length of time. We are now talking about six years. And we as Australians go, whoopie-doo, the evil people. They knocked on the door and said, excuse me, my car's broken down. Can you help me? So he chucked them in detention for six months. They knocked on the door and said, I've been tortured in my country of orange. Can you help me? They knocked on the door and said, I've been persecuted in my country of origin because of my religious beliefs. Can you help me? But because they came by, by boat, they ended up on some offshore detention centre which was set up by the federal government We say, you will rot there for all eternity. And if you self-harm, bad luck. There have been people who've made a lot of money out of this. And at one stage I was actually thinking of setting up a company to provide security at Manus Island or Nauru. Because these companies are getting billions of dollars. And I worked out that if the money which was spent on keeping people in prison, a few thousand people in prison on Nauru and Manus Island, was actually distributed amongst each and every one of those refugees and asylum seekers, they could be living in a six-star accommodation in a fancy hotel with fancy chef-cooked meals for more than a year and still have change left over from the money which is given to private corporations to persecute, detain harass and hound asylum seekers in this country. And we just think, ah, well, 
that's the way it is. That's the way it's all always been. Well, it hasn't always been like that. It doesn't have to always be like that. But that's the land of milk and honey, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of good things about Australia. Don't get me wrong. I'm quite happy to live here. I'm much happier to live here than I would be to live in Russia or China. Because I'm sure that if I lived in Russia or China, I'd be basically in prison. But because I'm ineffectual in Australia, you know, the government can tolerate me and you because we're basically, you know, we can we can blow we blow out a lot of hot air, but we're actually not achieving many runs. The score isn't very high. The pressure which we can apply on the government at the local and state and federal level is minimal. Because let's be realistic, we haven't been able to waken people from their slumber. We haven't been able to encourage people to join us. People have, haven't joined us. They haven't joined us for a variety of reasons. Some people think that what we're asking for is impossible, that it's amateurish, it's unrealistic. Others disagree with what we want to do. But there are many people who would benefit from the type of uh, ideas we promote regarding the creation of a mixed economy where the public sector competes with the private sector in an open marketplace, where companies are forced to pay their fair share of taxation through the introduction of 1% stock market turnover tax or a 1% turnover tax. But, as luck would have it, we are not part of that debate. We are not part of that mix. We are not worthy of the legacy media in terms of our ideas are not worthy because, well, they actually affect that small sector society that owns them its production, distribution, exchange, communication. We can't have that, can we? I mean, I've got sick to listening to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is taxpayer-funded. For years, the Institute of Privatising Affairs has colonised the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And although they have been slowly kicked out and pushed out of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation because of their uh, inexcusable behaviour. They still have an extremely profound effect in terms of self-censorship, in terms of so-called criticism of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And now we're reduced to seeing an Australian Broadcasting Corporation that in many regards apes the privately owned media. I mean, switch it on any stage and apart from a few reasonable programs on the local community, on the regional Australian networks and occasionally on the uh, uh, the uh, local networks and occasionally on national TV. You soon learn pretty quickly that it's not a contest of ideas. It's a contest of one type of ideas. That's what it's about. A contest of one type of ideas and those ideas are all about supporting corporations supporting capitalism supporting the current divisions which exist in our society supporting the status quo and doing everything they can to humiliate marginalize ostracize people like you and me who are interested in change radical social change they're interested in reforms. Not even reformists are welcome in 2019 in the land of the of Oz. It's just quite extraordinary. Now, if you told me 50 years ago when I started on this journey as a 17-year-old callow youth 
that I would be battling for the same issues, I would have laughed. I would have said, this is not going to be an issue. But now I see my fellow baby boomers, boomers, the so-called revolting generation in the 1960s and early 1970s, my brothers and sisters, and when you get to mix with them, and I don't do it I don't do it regularly because I find it nauseating. It's all about the grandkids and their superannuation packets. That's what it's about. It's about nothing else. And every attempt to introduce some reform to ensure that a few more crumbs are brushed off the corporate table to feed the young and the middle-aged and all those people who find themselves ostracised through the current economic uh, schmozzle, well, there is no interest. No interest. I had the bad luck of sitting in a cafe a few days ago listening to the conversation inadvertently of two elderly workers in the yellow vests talk about their superannuation, their share portfolio, they're financial advisors. I'm not talking about slicker tied, you know, executives in glass buildings. I'm just talking about ordinary working people. And I'm thinking to myself, is it time to push the toilet button? Is it time? And that's what we've seen in this country. We have seen a major cultural shift where the only thing most people are concerned about in this society is their own personal welfare and the personal welfare of their family and, to a lesser extent, their friends. It's all about maintaining the status quo. It's all about throwing petrol into the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation Uh, fire in order to see it spread across the nation and consume any public assets which still remain in public ownership. It's all about letting the big end of town, the corporate sector, have its own way. Banking Royal Commission or no banking Royal Commission. I mean, we live in a society where crime does pay, where customers are idiots, where people who pay their taxes and obey the law and look after their neighbours and do what they can to improve the lot of others are considered to be losers. Well, those who act as criminals, who break the law, are put on a pedestal and worshipped you know, as great financial gurus. It's an extraordinary situation to find ourselves in 2019. And it won't change unless you start thinking about it and start getting involved. Because enough is enough. You're not a customer. You're not some poor little customer snivelling around wanting your consumer rights. You're a citizen. You've got rights and responsibilities. Activate that citizenship. Activate that those rights and responsibilities. Stand up for yourself. It's time to get off your knees. It's time to struggle. It's time to change things. Otherwise, in a year's time, everything that came out of the Banking Royal Commission 
will disappear from you, Liberal National Party government or Labor Party government or not. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You can write to me, yes. There were 12 letters in my letterbox last week, which was very nice. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me, yes, I do answer email, at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can join public interest before corporate interest by going to pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to our refreshed webpage at pipsy.net. I've been told it's a wonder, wonder. Or the YouTube channel, public interest before corporate interest. And if you are bored and listless, if you've got nothing to do, you can always join me on Wednesday night on the 6th of February at La Porquetta's 39 to Raftdown Street, Carlton North, for tea. And if you can't make Wednesday night, on the 13th and the 20th, we'll be having lunch at the same place. Go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Toscano for the Public, and you will be able to access all that wonderful information about the activities we're involved in. And if you really, if you want to see the sunrise... We'll have a coffee and croissant. You've got to bring your own coffee and croissant. Join us at 6am, Wednesday the 13th of February, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament and make public housing everybody's business. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And yes, have a look at the Twitter stream, pipsy underscore au, or go to our YouTube channel. That's right, public interest before corporate interest. Yes, we've embraced social media in order to get you out on the street. People on social media talk the talk. We want you to talk the talk and walk the walk. Join us on our many activities. If you don't like what we're doing, organise your own activities. At the end of the day, remember to keep a smile on your face as you try to change the state, irrespective of the odds that we're faced with. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of your local community radio station. Uh, The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3CR. If you don't like the program, don't listen. But if you do, listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.